If you want to level up your freelance income, but you don't want to start a writing agency or try to outsource writing and scale your income that way, this is going to be an awesome interview for you. I'm talking to Jessica Walrack, and she's basically telling the story of how she became a personal finance writer, despite not being in the finance realm and having that concrete experience. And she explains why you don't need to actually work in finance to be a good finance writer. We talk about how Jessica's income leveled up drastically when she settled on a niche and how she came to that conclusion and chose her niche. We also talk about the power of walking away from clients that aren't the best fit and why taking money when you're in that hustle phase and you just need to take clients actually winds up biting you at the end of the day. We discuss portfolio tips and why having certain logos within your niche builds instant credibility and just makes getting clients so much easier. I am so excited to bring you this conversation. You are going to learn so much. I'm Christine from paidcopywriter.com. I teach freelancers how to get on LinkedIn and cold pitch their ideal clients so that they can make an income working from home with no boss, no commute. So if you're looking for free copywriting and content writing tips and just how to level up your income as a self-employed writer, you are going to want to subscribe to this channel so that you're the first to know when I drop my two new videos each week. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining me today. I want to start the episode by asking you to tell me a little bit about your background, how you became a writer, because you've written for some really impressive publications. So I'm always curious how one gets those opportunities and just your whole backstory. Sure, sure. So it all started about 10 years ago. I was actually working in a corporate environment, kind of trying to climb the management ladder. And I just felt like I wasn't really in the right place. I had a son. He was four at the time. Well, I have a son, but at the time he was four and, you know, he was constantly at daycare with grandma and grandpa or a babysitter. And I just felt like I wanted to spend more time at home in those formative years. And so my husband and I sat down one day and we're just like, man, this isn't going how we planned really. How did we get here? So we started talking about kind of what our dream scenario would be. And that involved, you know, we had always loved traveling. We wanted to travel abroad. And so with that, we needed some sort of income that could be done online. So we started by kind of thinking up a business plan, which is not writing (laughs) and started working on that. And then it just so happened that what my husband was doing at the time, he was able to get a remote contract. And so that was kind of like our launching pad, like, okay, we can actually get started and go and then keep working on this business. And as we were building the online business, we had to contract out web development, copywriting, all different sorts of things. So that's really the first time that I even came into contact with that. This could be a thing that a way to earn money. And so The business was kind of slow to start as many are. And so I decided that I wanted to kind of do some work on the side. So at the time I started on Elance, which merged with Odesk and became Upwork. And I just applied for as many things as I could, like transcriptionist, writing, all sorts of things. And I I remember I got a writing job writing about kitchen cabinets or something for next to nothing, but I was just excited to get something. And so I did it. And it turned out well, I got a five-star review and things got easier after that to just kind of get more jobs. And it really took off. I mean, the demand was huge. And so we actually ended up just saying, you know, forget this other business. We're going to kind of go in the direction of, of writing. And at the time I wanted to build an agency, but that kind of changed, but yeah, so now it's been 10 years and I'm still writing. (laughs) So your husband joined you on that journey and kind of helped you build out the business or did he continue with what he was doing? 
yeah, he was doing what he was doing. I was doing the writing. He doesn't like to write, but he's a management type. He's really good at building teams. And so once I had more work than I can do, he's like, why don't we, you know, I'll build the team of writers and you can get the, the jobs and then I could edit and he could, you know, hire it out and we could build a, a system that way. And so we did do that for a while, probably a year or two, but I felt I really missed the writing. Pretty soon I was in this role where I was editing and doing all of these other things that I didn't really enjoy. And so we reached a point where I went back to writing and then he did went on a different path. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I think the way that it's, I guess, framed to writers is that creating an agency and kind of outsourcing everything is like the key to scaling. And that's the next level with all of this, but some of us genuinely want to continue to write and it's not like, oh, I'm going to you know, stay stagnant. It's just a matter of like, how can you scale your business while continuing to do what you actually like to do? Exactly. Yeah. And that was a hard thing. Cause at the time, you know, there wasn't a lot of writers on LinkedIn. There wasn't a lot of writers in Facebook groups. I was just kind of on my own trying to figure it out. This was probably 2014, 2015. And so I was like, can I scale my business by writing? Is there a way to grow this thing? So yeah, that took me a while to kind of navigate. And you didn't have a writing background before you got in, like your corporate job had nothing to do with writing. No, mm -mm, I was in sales. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know that. And I was in sales as well before I became a writer. You don't meet many people that have that background. <laughs> yeah, but it, it makes sense. You know, if you're doing copywriting and content writing, like so much of that background, I actually did end up applying. I always say that, that like copywriting is salesmanship in print. It's literally just like, it, it is the act of selling, but it's, kind of an introvert's dream because you don't have to deal directly with people and persuade them and have that back and forth. Yeah, for sure. What kind of sales were you in? I worked for T-Mobile. So I was doing its cell phones to consumers and then they wanted to launch B sales through the retail channel. And so I was heading that for my region, which involved kind of getting lists and cold calling and then trying to close the deals through the store. So that actually prepared me a lot too for cold pitching and cold emailing as I got into the writing. Yeah. Oh, and I want to dig into that too, because I have a heavy cold calling background as well. And I think that's the only reason why cold pitching has worked really well for me. Not because, oh, I learned this amazing skill that no one else has access to. It's just because when you have a manager that is like telling you that you need to cold pitch, it's very different. Like it kind of builds this muscle where yeah. as writers who have never done something like that, it can feel like just such an uphill battle and feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. And I remember feeling like it was a waste of time. Like I was never going to get a yes. I mean, when you've never done it before and you get 10 no's in a row, it's like, maybe I'm not cut out for this, you know, but once you realize, no, like the average is 3%, <laughs> you know, if you're just doing no personalization, cold calls, you know, it just kind of gives you a different perspective. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because that's actually not, it's not something I talk about enough. I think is like that vantage point of like, well, I have tried cold pitching 10 to 20 times and nobody has answered. What do I do now? So I always give people ways to troubleshoot. Like they're, like you said, if your cold pitch isn't personalized or if your website, your portfolio aren't dialed in, even if you have the best cold pitch, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a response. So you kind of have to work backward and say, okay, I'm not getting a response. What is it? Is it a volume issue? Is it a my portfolio issue? Right. Yeah. There's usually something in there and you can always experiment and tweak and experiment and tweak. You know, it's just a process. 
Yes. Okay. So tell me about how you chose your niche and how you got into personal finance writing. And, and did yeah. you start, did you start with a niche? I did not. No, I started, like I said, I wasn't even niche down into writing, <laughs> you know, I was doing transcriptions and pretty much, I just wanted to make money online and stay in Costa Rica because I had fallen in love with it. And so, yeah, I started out as a generalist and then realized writing is what I wanted to do. And I pretty much stayed a generalist for seven years or so, you know, to me, I was always kind of, I was making it, but I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was really happy with my business. It wasn't optimal. I was still struggling. I would have the feast and famine. So for me, it was just, I was kind of nervous to niche down because I thought if I'm having trouble staying fully booked out now, when I haven't excluded anybody, how am I going to get more business when it's more narrow? Like I, it just didn't make sense. And people would tell me things all the time. You got to niche down. And I would just be like, I don't know. You know, I was scared. And then in 2020, I had been on LinkedIn for a long time, but I joined and I became more active and I joined more Facebook groups. I really started getting to know other writers, talking shop, and that helped me a lot to realize what was possible. I met a lot of people who were you know, doing better than I was and who had a lot of advice for me. And so that got me to really start thinking and to write down some goals of what I wanted to make per month, how many hours I wanted to be spending, what kind of clients I wanted to work with, you know, just getting really, really specific. I literally wrote it down and I put it all over my office. <laughs> I'm just like, I got to get here. This is what, what I actually want. And so in looking at all of my, you know, spreadsheets, I keep track of all my jobs, how much I make, how many hours it takes, all those things. So I was just going through them kind of like, okay, so what that I'm doing would actually get me to these goals, you know? And so some of them were far off and some of them were closer. And so I just kind of analyzed that. And I realized that personal finance blogs were things that I enjoyed. They were in high demand. They were paying me the best. I had some work already. I had a whole lot of samples, like a, a published body of work. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm going to go in here, focus on this. And so I optimized or I changed my website, my profiles and everything to be personal finance focused. And I didn't drop all my clients right away that weren't finance. You know, I still had bills to pay and stuff. And so it was just kind of like a process of slowly, I'm going to start positioning myself this way. I'm not going to bring on any new clients who aren't in this niche. And then I'm slowly just going to kind of hopefully transition to this place where my whole work schedule is personal finance blog. And to my surprise, I just was completely mind blown at what happened. Once I did that, my inbox just blew up. You know, I started getting these offers to write for websites, all personal finance, um, and for names that I knew you know? And so that was pretty crazy because that hadn't happened before. It, I would get leads, but it wasn't like that. And so then I just kind of realized, wow, I was really wrong. <laughs> People want experts, you know, they're willing to pay more for experts. And especially now, you know, in the past two or three years, I feel like a, the market of freelance writers has grown, you know, there's, it's like word got out. <laughs> and so it's very saturated. And so you know, just to be a general writer, I feel like you kind of get lost in the mix. Once you say, this is what I do, this is what I specialize in, you know, it's, it speaks to the people who need that more. And then, yeah, I just, for me, it resulted in a lot more demand. You didn't have a personal finance background prior, right? It's kind of just like, those were the jobs that you had taken on. And then you, you spotted that trend 
and I'm asking you that because I have so many writers that are actually interested in personal finance writing or finance writing. And they're like, all the clients want somebody that has real tangible background in the finance sector. And I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. And I was thinking about this the other day too. Like, you know, I'm not a financial advisor, you know, you have to get certified and go through all those things. I'm not a CPA or an accountant, you know, but I'm not necessarily giving my own advice when I'm writing these articles, you know, I'm taking general information and I'm making it easy to understand, you know, like, how do you file your taxes? Like, that's not some advanced, you know, financial thing. If I was going to go in there and tell you, you know, all of these intricate details of how to get the most deductions and all that stuff, that would be a different story, but I don't do that. If I want that information, I'm going to go to subject matter experts and I'm going to tie that into the situation, you know? So for me, what helped me to get in was I had a client who was just starting out a personal finance site back in, I don't know, 2016, who reached out to me on LinkedIn and brought me on. And so I wrote for them for three or four years. So just having like a a wide collection of finance articles helped me to get my first client who was more of an industry leader, which was the simple dollar. And then once I had that client that everybody knew, then it's like you're in the door and all of the other sites that are of that caliber or higher are willing to give you a chance. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And I think that that's the most underrated strategy is getting in the door with maybe a newer company or a startup. And I know that that can sometimes have its drawbacks from a working perspective, but I think that's, (laughs) but I think they are the most willing to give someone with a little less experience a chance which I think a lot of writers just need to get their foot in the door with one client, like you said. And the minute they see simple dollar, it's like the credibility is built without you having to get on a call and like sell yourself. It's like, it's crazy how powerful just a few logos can be. It really is. And I tell writers that all the time. I'm like, you know, put the logos in your LinkedIn banner. Like that just says so much right off the bat. It builds that trust and it makes a huge difference. Like before I niched down, like I was telling you, people would reach out to me, but it was different. It was like, hi, I saw you're a writer. Can we jump on a call? And, you know, you can tell me more about yourself and I'll tell you about me. And so we get on and I'd be selling myself, you know, I'm like, I've been writing for seven years. I have all these samples, you know, I can send them over to you. Do you want to see something? And they'd be like, yeah, send it over. And I was getting objections to pricing too. You know, if I sent something over, it was like, oh, could we do this? You know? So it was harder. And then once I niched down and I had that proof, it wasn't like that. It was like, Hey, we've seen your writing, you know, what are your rates? We want to hire you. And so the calls would be more like me interviewing them. Like what's your process? Like, you know, how, how long does it take to get paid? You know, it totally just flipped the script. I'm so glad you said that because choosing a niche is like the biggest point of opposition. I think people fall into two camps where they're either really hesitant to choose a niche because they don't want to box themselves in or they they deliberate on choosing the absolute perfect best niche and they stay so stuck getting started because they're like I I don't know what the right choice is and I like what you said and I think that's a tactic that a lot of writers do take is like they look for trends within I mean this obviously if you have started as a generalist writer and you have a body of work to at least look at you look for trends and you draw the conclusion and then you say okay I'm going to niche down to just to this. I have a question for you too about finance writing though, because I say this with my 
niche too, because I'm B2B technology specifically for software and between tech and finance, I would say they're, I don't want to say like they're the boring niches, but I wouldn't say they're the most fun compared to like health and wellness and spirituality and all these niches that people really tend to be drawn to. Were you passionate about personal finance at all, or this is just something you kind of fell into? Okay. Yeah. That's a great question. Like I said, my husband and I were passionate about travel. You know, we'd moved to Costa Rica. We had plans to travel the world and do all these things. So that's where I thought, you know, my ideal thing, my ideal niche would be, but you know, I didn't find that I actually liked writing about it that much, <laughs> not in the way that people, you know, wanted me to, like, I had my own blog where I would share what we were doing in my experiences, but I didn't really like writing about it for the companies, the hotels and all that stuff. But I always have loved math and <laughs> I know nobody loves math, but I always <laughs> did. Like, I just, I liked that there was a you know, a process, a formula, I could check my answers. It wasn't like subjective. It was like, you know, very cut and clear. And I didn't really have to study as long as I knew the things I could figure it out, you know, it's figure outable. So that was always something that I did like thinking back. And so as I'm working through finance topics, I found that I could really flesh out examples, you know, like if we're talking about I don't know, insurance, I can, you know, say, okay, well, if you pay this much, you know, this is what it's going to cost you. This is how you compare it. And I just enjoyed really getting into that, breaking it down, making tables. And I think it is boring, but I find joy and a challenge in making it easy to understand and, you know, kind of fun, like bringing some, some spunk to it, I guess. So yeah, no, I didn't ever know that I liked it. I never really thought about that. That wasn't on my radar at all, but it just, you know, through trying out all these different things, I just kind of realized it. And I was going to say that too, about what you said earlier, that a lot of writers, you know, I think it is important to choose a niche carefully, not that you want to be paralyzed, but I think, you know, looking back now, you definitely could potentially pigeonhole yourself into an area that isn't, it's, it's harder to be successful. You know, I think it's important to look into what's the trend in that industry. Is it, a, is it like writing about the yellow pages? You know, <laughs> nobody uses that anymore. Is it something that's old and obsolete or is it something that's growing, that's gaining, you know, attention and, and you can just Google kind of like market trends for X niche and you can kind of see where things are at and if there's buzz around it. So I say it's, it can be harder these days to start as a generalist, like we we're talking about earlier, because there's so many writers. So I would say definitely do some research before picking a niche. Yeah, I have like a whole niche validation process, which is like doing that research. Like you said, it's like, other than you liking it, there needs to be a demand for it. There needs to be like, I think a telltale sign is like how many other writers are positioning themselves in that way as a finance writer, as a tech writer, weirdly that competition that you see like, oh, so many other writers are doing this. It, it actually means that there's probably a pretty strong demand for it and they're making money and that there's more money to be made in that. Yeah, in that definitely. What is your best advice for scaling your income as a copywriter? I think this is the, it's so interesting. I would say my, the people who are listening to this right now are divided into two camps of like just wanting to get started and really not able to take those first steps. Cause there's so much information, like you were saying, um, or they're doing this, but they're like, I'm on Upwork and I'm not making nearly enough money. And then they hear writers talk about how much they command for a blog post. And they're like, how the hell do you find those opportunities? Yeah. So, 
what's your advice for the people who are trying to scale up their income? Yeah. And I've been that person (laughs) who's like working hard. I know I have the skills, but people just aren't biting. You know, when I'm telling them that's my price, they're like, sorry, or they're trying to talk me down. And so I think the, you know, the biggest thing that obviously helped me was niching down, becoming an expert. And once you have a full, you know, schedule, then you just, you have more leverage in the situation, you know, like my schedule is full right now, but I'm always open to opportunities. If somebody drops in my inbox, I'm going to check it out, you know, but I don't have to negotiate or like try to negotiate. It's like, I don't, I'm good. I don't need any other kind of client right now. I'd be happy to have one if they're a perfect fit, but this is my price and that's it, you know? And as you, you can kind of move your rates up that way too, you know, like I'm full, I have demand, so I'm going to raise my rate. And if they want to work with me at that, that'll work. If not, no problem. That's fine too, you know? So I think that's a way to scale once you have the full schedule. And if you're struggling to get the full schedule and have any de- enough demand at the right price, you know, I think it really comes down to, to like niching down and creating that, becoming an expert, ha- offering more value, you know, being somebody that they want to have on, on their website. And I was talking about this, I was writing a blog on bylines the other day, and it's kind of like, there's a shift in the byline. Like at first you're getting the favor done. If somebody gives you a byline, you know, like the simple dollar, that was huge for me. I would have done that for free just because of what it would have done for my career, you know, but once you are an established writer and you have a reputation, then you getting the byline can actually help that company. So it just kind of, you know, it turns the tables on, on the situation, which means it's more valuable, you know, you can raise your prices. So it's really just kind of breaking through that point. And I tell this story sometimes because I think that there is an aspect sometimes where you need to take a leap of faith. You need to kind of say, okay, this is where I need to be. And I'm, I'm not going to compromise. You know, that was a real turning point when I had, I told you, I posted all of my office, what I needed to make. And then my schedule wasn't full yet. I was working on LinkedIn. I was trying really hard to get leads. I had a big bill coming up and I needed a client. I was like, okay, I really need a client right now. I was stressing and somebody reached out to me and it wasn't in my niche that I was trying to switch to. And it was okay, but it wasn't at the rate that was going to get me where I needed to be, but I needed money, you know? And so I was kind of like at this thing, like, do I continue down the road I've been going or do I stick to my guns? And I remember just being like stressed and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm sticking. I believe that I'm going to be able to do this if I just, you know, commit to it. And I remember I like had to go on a walk because I was so stressed after that. I was like, how am I going to do this? You know? And then the very next day I got an offer in my niche at the price that I needed. And I was just like, okay, that's my sign. (laughs) I just need to like stick to it and believe in this and you know, it will happen. And so, you know, people talk a lot about mindset and manifesting and all of this stuff. And I think that there's an element of, you know, believing in yourself and sticking to it, even when you can't quite see it yet. You know, if you just, if you focus on that and stay, you do still need to do the work. It's not just going to magically happen. You know, you, you definitely have to put in the time, but I think sometimes it's just like saying, I'm done with what I've been doing and I'm going to do something different. 
Yeah. Saying, I think what we say no to as freelancers is just as important as like the clients, you know, we go after. And I think that's such an underrated point. Like the more you take on work that isn't a fit for you, the less time you have to pursue stuff that is going to ultimately, you know, excel and push you forward. And actually recently I took a in-house role and I completely dropped all my clients to be like a content lead at a software company. This was like almost a year ago. Yeah. Almost a year ago now. And it turned out to be not at all what I thought it would be. And I wound up leaving within six months and I had to build my freelance business up from scratch. And yeah, that, that was a very stressful time for me because I had to, you know, obviously start making money because I kind of just quit without anything really lined up because I just needed to get out. And I, I did take some clients that I knew I wasn't super interested in working with them and they weren't in my niche, but I was just in the hustle phase. And I've, I have regretted that decision every single time, every single time I've been like, I don't really want to work with them, but I could use the money right now. I've wound up regretting it. So I so agree with what you said of just trusting that the next opportunity is on the other side of your no. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that, I mean, there's so much fear attached to that, you know, especially if you don't have, you know, another income, a backup plan, if if this is all you're doing, which I was at the time, you know, and you're counting on it, like it's a hard, hard thing to do, but I think that, yeah, it's important. And every person like who I've talked to, who's a writer, who's gone past that says the same thing. You just got to commit to it and believe in it will happen. You know, totally. What about the portfolio, right? Because we talked about getting those logos and how that builds credibility. What are your best portfolio tips or maybe stuff that you've seen where you're like, oh, that's not what's what you're supposed to be doing. This is a red flag. Yes. Okay. Samples are the most important thing for a writer. In my opinion, you don't have resumes, you know, all that matters is your sample. You know, every single person who comes to me has read my samples that I have, or before they would go read them, I would send them and that makes or breaks a deal. I mean, it's so, so important. And I think that a lot of writers don't put enough importance on it. They'll have errors in their samples, or it's just not, you know, their best work. They just don't really think that much like, oh, I have an article about that. I could send it to you. I think that, you know, that can really, really hold you back. Like I hire writers now sometimes for a site that I'm building. And when I, you know, when I'm looking for them, I'm looking at those samples so close because that's their best work. So it should be in my opinion, you know, so if that has errors, it's like, you know, what are you going to get? Like that's the, the proof is in the pudding and I've hired writers because they share something on LinkedIn and I'm like, this is so awesome. You would be perfect for my site, you know? So I've seen it from both sides and it's just, it is very worth investing in. And sometimes editors and companies that you write for it, they take your work, they publish it, but they change it. You know, they do little things here and there. And as a result, it doesn't read quite as well. It's messed up. I wouldn't share those as your samples, no matter where they are, you know? It's like, that's going to shoot yourself in the foot. So I would say first and foremost, make sure that your samples are in the best condition, the ones that you're going to send. It's also important that they're relative to your client and what they're looking for. And if you don't have any, I would say, you know, you can write articles on Medium, you can write articles on LinkedIn, on your own blog, just create some awesome ones and self-publish them. And I think those are better to send a live link up that's high quality and in the right niche you know, then 
sending some other one that's not so great or on a different topic or something. And yeah, once you have them, I recommend putting them in the featured section on your LinkedIn profile. So when people go there, they can actually go and read your, your work right there on your website, of course. And that's really the main things. I wrote for Clear Voice. I don't know if you've heard of that site before, but they kind of keep all of the articles that you've ever written and they put them together in this like CV portfolio. So that was really helpful for me when I was first getting started to share that and just say, hey, this is where all my finance articles are sort of thing. But I know that's a little bit more rare. So yeah, I would say social media profiles and, and your website. It's really hard for writers who have been published in like more, you know, they've been published in a certain publication, but it's not really geared toward their ideal client. And they're like, well, I want to just show that I've been published. But unfortunately, even if we see we, that you've been published, we look at the writing and say, yes, she's been published, but can she write for my niche? How much instruction is the writer going to need? How much training are they going to be able to talk about my specific topic, which then we're back to the niche conversation. It's like, I think a focused portfolio with less pieces will go much further than kind of like a scattered, diverse, bulky portfolio. Right. That can just be confusing. It's like, where do I start? And who knows what they're going to end up clicking on too. It gives you less control. Yes. Keep it simple for sure. SEO for writers. I feel like this is like such a frustrating topic for me because a lot of the keyword research is done for me from my clients, but I think that's kind of an industry norm for me. Whereas I think other writers are expected to do keyword research. Do your clients ask you to do keyword research and do you have a paid tool that you use? Not anymore. When I was kind of doing more, I was taking on some content strategy roles. I kind of played with going down that path and being kind of like a content strategist for a while. So I have experimented with that, but yeah, now my clients, they're all their systems are very, you know, like fine-tuned. It's like a well-oiled machine. They have their SEO strategists. They put their briefs together. They're super detailed. And then they send them to me. But I do have my own sites that I do keyword research for and stuff like that. But yeah, not for clients anymore. Yeah, I think that's kind of the way that things are moving. Whenever I've had the rare client that says, do you do keyword research? I always say, well, I can do some like I basically position it like, well, typically you guys will do the keyword research and put it in a brief and I'll know how to weave those keywords in, but I don't pay for like a H Hrefs or a SEM rush or whatever the, the keyword tool is. Yeah. And that's Hard. actually been a huge red flag for me that I've learned. Like, you know, if a client's like, Hey, I want some blogs. You can just pick the, whatever keywords it's like, okay you don't have a strategy. You need a strategist, <laughs> you know? And in the beginning, I, I wasn't really aware of, you know, what that meant. And so I would take on some of that stuff without necessarily the right pay. Like that work is very, it's worth a lot. It shouldn't just be clumped in with the writing, you know? Yeah. Separate service for sure. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite type of content or copywriting to work on? And what is your least favorite? Okay. So my favorite is blog writing, long form content. And, you know, looking back, I've always really liked to kind of get to the root of a matter and then find a fun way to explain it. You know, like I used to have school for all my neighbor kids <laughs> and I would do lessons, you know, and then when I was in my sales job, I created 
like a class that people could come to, to learn about their phones. And so I would talk them through how to use it and show them, you know, tutorials and just help with customer loyalty. And so looking back, I'm like, okay, I see this kind of path through everything I've done that I like to do this. So with blogs, it's the same exact thing. I'm getting to the root of a matter. It's like, okay, how can I answer all these questions and make it as interesting as I can and as helpful and answer all the you know questions that people want? So yeah, that would definitely be my favorite. I'm glad you said that too, because I'm still primarily a blog post writer. I do like writing blogs the most, but I think when people learn about copywriting and content writing, they're definitely drawn to the flashier, shinier, like conversion copywriter and writing sales pages and more of like the short form copywriting. and just in general, blogs have changed. Like the blogs used to be all the rage, like having a personal blog. And then that kind of shifted. So a lot of people even question like, are blogs still a thing? And they very much are for businesses. Oh yeah. And they're, they're fun to write and they're, they allow your creativity, I would say to come forth more than other pieces of copy. Yeah, definitely. And you have more space to explain. And, and the whole thing is, trying to achieve a goal as well. You know, there's always, you know, some underlying reason and how that fits into the bigger content strategy, you know, whether it's at the beginning or closer to the end. So yeah, I think it's fun to kind of put all these different pieces together into that piece of marketing material. But yeah, yeah. I, I tried copy too, copywriting and I got pretty into it for a while, but it's just, it's not my favorite. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would say what I like to do is write a blog post or an ebook, like a long form piece of content. And then if I can create emails and landing pages around that, mm -hmm. you know, long form copy, that is like more satisfying than other types of like, I, I don't really like to write ads and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, me neither. And some people are just that real quick, witty kind of, you know, they can like my husband, he can come up with like a tagline or, you know, he just has that like quick thinking funny, you know, thing, but he, he's never going to sit down and explain something to somebody for like 10 minutes, you know, it's just like different ways that the brain works. And I can push myself to go into, to do those other sorts of things, but it's just not, I, I wouldn't say it's my strong suit. Totally. All right. Well, we'll end the conversation on this one last question. If you had to give your newbie writer self advice, looking back all those years ago, knowing how it turned out, what would you say to yourself? Yeah, I would say that you need to think about your ideal business and where you want to be and how much you want to make and how many hours you want to spend each day writing, the type of people you want to work with, how you want that process to look. Think about it all, write it down. It's so important, you know, and then go for it. <laughs> Like you don't have to struggle so long, just kind of reverse engineer from your results back to what you need to do and start building your, your presence and your brand and everything online to get there. It's very possible. You know, at the time I didn't know it was possible. I honest to God, didn't, I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. If I would ever get to a place where I was happy with the business, I just didn't. It was my first business I ever built on my, by myself. So I think that just knowing that you can get there is a game changer, you know, and believing that trusting the process as you go and just steadfastly working towards it. I love that reverse engineer because many writers start off and they're like, who's, who's going to accept me? Who's going to work with me instead of saying, how much do I want to make per month? What type of clients do I want? And what steps am I going to take to get there? So 
I love that. And if you ever for a second doubt the value that you can bring to a company, I say this, go out and run an experiment and look for a writer. Just put out an ad and ask for writers to write something for you and, and see what you get. Go through that process. So much can go wrong. So many people don't deliver. So many people are late. They make excuses. They talk your ear off forever. So you can't even get work done or they don't ask enough questions or, you know, they deliver work. That's just a mess and takes 10 times longer to fix than it does to, you know, even write it yourself. And just that process, I think makes you realize how valuable it is just to have somebody who does what they say they're going to do, pays attention, delivers on time. You know, like it's a big deal because it makes your, your content creation process smooth and possible and profitable, which is what every business wants. So I think that just understanding that what can go wrong helps you understand how valuable it is when it goes right. Yeah. Something I did early on in my freelance career was I did like an informational interview with a woman on LinkedIn who had hired writers. And she was like, I'm just going to tell you what it's been like for me to hire writers. And it was exactly what you said. They flake out. They don't hit deadlines. They're terrible communicators. And I literally like tailored my, I had no idea that was the experience of somebody trying to hire a writer. I just figured like there's a million great writers out there and I'm just one of many. And then when she said that, I kind of tailored my marketing to it. And I was like, very responsive, you know, self-taught, able to self-direct, whatever. So I love that you said that, that, that behind the scenes vantage point of like, what is it like for these people to work with writers? Yeah. If you're reliable, you're consistent, you do what you say your clients are going to love you. They're not going to let you go. (laughs) Totally. Well, Jessica, you're going to inspire a lot of writers. Where's the best place for everybody to reach out to you and tell you how much they appreciated this episode? Oh, thanks so much. And the place I on the most, I would say is LinkedIn. So just search Jessica Walrack and you'll find me there. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for having me.